Hello, I'm your host, Luke Boggs, and I'm joined today by Sachin Varghese. Did I get that right? Varghese, yes. Varghese, okay. I'm going to get it right by the end of this podcast, I, sure, <laughs> I swear. But anyway, we're going to talk about uh, House Race 89, and uh, it's a contested Democratic primary, and it's a jungle primary like we had with John Ossoff. Are there any Republicans in this, or is it just Democrats? Uh, there are not. There are four Democrats in the race right now. Yeah, that's what I thought. And so it's going to be... Uh, interesting race, and it's to replace uh, House former House Minority Leader Stacey Abrams because she decided to run for governor. So, uh, to start off, you know, Georgia's a big state, so every district's a little bit different. So, as you started running for this, what was sort of the first thing that you saw about your district that you thought made it unique and you want other people to know about it? Sure. So, I think um, District 89 is awesome, uh, given it's, it's a very diverse district. So, it's diverse racially, it's diverse socioeconomically. Um, and I think that certainly presents challenges in representation, but also presents a lot of opportunities uh, to really understand and have constituents that are dealing with a broad swath of issues uh, that are affecting the entire state. So I think that gives me you know, some unique insight into um, passing policy and legislation to affect uh, folks across the state in different situations. Yeah. And so are there any issues that sort of surprised you as you went out and started campaigning that people were talking about? You know, because everyone in Georgia talks about like the lack of Medicaid expansion being a big problem in transportation. But is there anything that you've seen, good or bad, that's unique to 89? You know, I don't know if it's unique just to 89, but it's certainly something that you see in the metro area uh, and and more broadly throughout Georgia, it doesn't surprise me, but, you know, a lot of folks are concerned about the lack of affordable housing. You know, particularly in 89, there are lots of neighborhoods uh, that have been gentrifying over the last decade. So, you know, we've lived here for the last decade and, and seen this neighborhood, East Atlanta, gentrify. And so there's a, there's a big concern with folks who have been in the neighborhood for decades about whether they're going to be pushed out uh, through increases in their property taxes. And so that's, you know, not a surprising concern, but one that's come up repeatedly. Yeah, you know, being Athens, as as you were once before as well, it, that's a big problem around the state, and several metro areas have a lot of problem with uh, people being priced out of neighborhoods they used to be able to afford, and gentrification in general. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough problem. Are there any solutions that you've heard about that you think you'd like to try to push at the capital for that? Or sure, it- yeah, and, and there are so. You know, when I think of affordable housing, there are a a couple of big buckets. One are folks who are not yet in the neighborhood but would like to live in the neighborhood and don't have affordable options to get into the neighborhood. The others are folks in gentrifying neighborhoods who have been there for a long time, who've invested in the community, helped to build up the community, and now can no longer afford uh, the taxation that goes along with it. So on the second side, I think there are several things we can do. You know, from just a county level here in DeKalb, the DeKalb delegation can certainly choose to increase the homestead exemption, which works as a bottom-up tax cut, reduces the tax burden uh, for for those who are least able to afford it. Uh, from a state level, we could certainly consider legislation either minimizing the year-to-year increases in property taxes or for seniors capping those. Uh, it would certainly be my preference to, to means test uh, a cap on increasing property taxes. That's probably not politically viable right now. And so I would certainly be a fan of an across-the-board cap for senior citizens because it does uh, protect a lot of low-income seniors who are in their homes and you know, have invested in the neighborhood through taxation for decades and and now that they're in old age and are on fixed incomes, can't continue to, to pay as property taxes increase. On the front side of that, which is making affordable housing available for new people coming to the neighborhood, 
you know, the state uh, does not uh, invest much money or any uh, in affordable housing. We manage the federal grants for affordable housing. So there's certainly an opportunity there being a realist and understanding the, the playing field in the Georgia legislature right now. I don't know whether there's the political will there to allocate funds uh, for affordable housing, but we can certainly uh, provide greater tax incentives if structured properly and requiring a certain amount of uh, certain percentage of units being dedicated to affordable housing. That's an option. Yeah, I'm happy you address the problem that way, though, because I think too often Democrats get in this this cycle where we're like, well, that's not politically viable, so let's not even talk about it. And so like, then we end up having no goals, and then people really can't tell the difference between what we want to do and what the uh, Republicans refuse to do. Yeah. And so I think in a lot of ways, it's valuable that you addressed it the way you did, because I know a lot of people that I interact with really don't know like what the differences are between Democrats and Republicans in this state. And so that's why it's so easy to like DCFI everything that uh, Democrats stand for. And we get taken out of context a lot. So I'm a pragmatist. So yeah, I'm happy you realize that there's that struggle, but it's sure. nice. It's nice to talk about what the goals would be if that restriction was taken away. So. That's right. So I, look, I am a very progressive person in my individual views and, and the policies I'd like to see implemented, but I'm also very pragmatic and recognize, you know, the field that I'm playing on. And so I think it's important for us to take the wins that we can now, uh, even if they're smaller than we'd ideally like them to be and continue to play and continue to pick up seats. And when we've got uh, greater power over policy lovers, we can we can push uh, greater policy that helps uh, Georgians. There's been a lot of new activity just around the country and in Georgia that I've seen after the election of Donald Trump. So one of the questions I've liked to ask a lot of the first-time candidates that have popped up in the era is like, why, why did you want to run and why did you want to run for state house? Sure. So, so the short answer is Donald Trump. Absent his election, I wouldn't be in this race. The longer answer is, you know, I immigrated to this country uh, as a child. I grew up working class. My mom has been an hourly employee for the last three decades, and I've been tremendously fortunate. A lot of that is because I, was, I had the opportunity to get a, a great public education. You know, unfortunately, there are too many Georgians that are not as fortunate, that don't have those pathways two opportunities to build for themselves solid and stable uh, and fulfilling lives. And so I've certainly recognized my good fortune. Uh, I've been hesitant to run for office because I have two young kids, you know, a three-year-old and a six-year-old, a wife that I love, and a demanding job. And so doing this, you know, required, um, you know, a large pay cut. I don't really see my uh, wife or kids anymore now that we're campaigning, um, which is certainly a struggle for me personally. But once Trump was elected, um, you know, Serene and I, my wife, have both feel strongly that we have the ability to do this. And, um, you know, we believe strongly, too, that I have the ability uh, to help move Georgia forward. And therefore, it's something that we need to do, even if it's challenging. Yeah. And I find it interesting you frame it that way, because a lot of people that I've run into that are first time candidates or considering being first time candidates, they start the answer exactly the same way, which is I'm really pissed off about Donald Trump. I feel all these bad ways about him. And then they're like, I'm going to run for county commission and kick him out and like get Obamacare fixed and all this kind of stuff. It's like, that's not what that job does. So I find it very interesting that you're like, you're upset about Donald Trump, which then makes you want to like do things in Georgia, which usually people don't 
have that connection. So it's nice to hear that. Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, um, it's interesting talking to people on the doors as well. You know, a lot of folks um, talk about the issues that that fire them up nationally and, and healthcare is one of them. Right. And so what I'm able to do is explain to people how at the state level you can affect those policy issues as well. You know, so for example, on healthcare, we've chosen as a state not to expand Medicaid. We've turned down $10 billion in federal dollars. Um, It's cruel and unjust, but it's also fiscally irresponsible. And that's a decision that we can make here on the state level uh, to improve access to healthcare in Georgia. Yeah. And... You know, healthcare is just such a such a problem um, in general because you know in this state we have a very very diverse regions where you know in Atlanta you have a bunch of people that can't afford to go to the hospital so they they probably just don't and then in rural Georgia you have the problem of hospitals are shutting down because they can't get enough funding because of how spread out everyone is and you know the difference between a 15 minute and 45 minute drive to the hospital is a life or death decision and so it's it just wrecks my mind that for political reasons they have not expanded Medicaid at all and then on top of that they have just not got a solution to that problem of the rural hospital crisis that we have because it is a crisis i mean we've had you know near half a dozen hospitals shut down in the past couple years so yeah look it's absolutely a crisis um it's a crisis that would be alleviated if we expanded medicaid you know i wouldn't say i'm optimistic but i i know that there are lots of rural republicans who understand that their communities are struggling uh, that people are sicker than they need to be, that people are dying because they don't have access to the health care they deserve. Now, will those individuals uh, come around and do the right thing? I hope so. Um, and if not for the moral and just reasons, for uh, the sake of their communities and for fiscal responsibility. You know, taking $10 billion in federal tax dollars that Georgians are paying and, and right now being sent to other states, investing that in our health care system and providing high-paying health care jobs Uh, with all the spillover effects uh, that come with that in stabilizing our rural hospitals. You know, it's hard to bring economic development to an area that doesn't have a hospital. Right. You know, it's difficult to to tell an employer, come here to our community, but if one of your employees gets sick or gets hurt on the job, the closest place for them to go is 45 minutes away or an hour away. So, you know, this really is an issue that uh, is beyond healthcare, and it's about the vitality of our rural communities. Yeah, and that's the thing I just found shocking is, is that the Republicans are obsessed with economic development, and they seem in some ways to very much understand it. But for whatever reason, it seems they focused more on the Deltas and the Amazons of the world rather than like the mom and pop employers that employ like 100, 150 people that go to rural communities rather than Atlanta. And it's strange since most of their representation is in those rural communities. So it's just like this very, like, you know, bizarro world where everything's reversed. Yeah, it's odd. And, and you know, I don't have any explanation for it other than Republicans have perceived it to be bad politics in Georgia to expand a law um, passed by President Obama. I mean, no. I, I don't have any explanation beyond that. And, you know, you asked me earlier about why I decided to run, Um, you know, in January of 16, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, um, which was discovered at a routine physical because I had health insurance. And then because I had health insurance, I had access to the care that I needed, had surgery, got radiation Uh, in December. 
you know, got a scan back that was clean and it was terrific. That's great. Um, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even know that at all. So that's, that's, yeah. um, and so, you know, I was, I'd been pretty fired up since, since uh, the election in November and stewing on it for a month and followed by good news. You know, that helped my wife and I uh, decide to, to do this and to pursue this seat. Yeah, well, congratulations on on that. Happy, happy here that you know clear for now. Um, and yeah, um, but I mean, I understand how critical healthcare is for people. You know, absent health insurance and absent the ability to access primary care. You know, if I don't, if I don't get this cancer discovered until I have a bulge in my neck, it's a much different situation. Right. Speaking speaking of different situations, let's let's talk about your race in particular. So, sure. you, like you said, you have four other. Sorry, it's four Democrats total. Correct. So, um, what kind of differentiates you between those other Democrats in the race? Yeah. So, you know, the reason I think I will be the most effective representative for this district is one, I have the broadest breadth of life experience. So, not only immigrating here as a child, but I grew up working class. I grew up going to socioeconomically and racially diverse. Uh, public schools. I'm a former public school teacher myself. My daughter attends a neighborhood public school. Um, and if it's not clear yet, the number one issue for me is public education, because I think it's the single most important issue for the state in ensuring its future success. So beyond you know my own life experience and being a cancer survivor, uh, I think I have the right skill set for the job. So you know I've got uh, a legal training. Um, I'm an attorney you know, right now, uh, only one out of six of our Georgia legislators are attorneys, and, and certainly by no means uh, do all need to be, but these are the individuals who are writing and passing our laws and understanding how laws work in the real world, I think is very beneficial. But beyond mm-hmm. that, I also have a master's in public administration with a concentration in policy. Uh, the truth is, I'm a policy nerd, and I don't mind, and in fact, enjoy digging into policy. And, you know, I believe strongly that the state needs to make some very big investments in our future. That said, we also have to analyze the returns we're getting on our dollars, right? Our, our uh, tax revenue is not unlimited. And so we need to be investing those dollars in smart ways. And I think I have the skill set uh, to analyze policy and determine what that is. And then finally, you know, I am, as I've stated before, cognizant of the playing field I'm stepping onto. You know, there is nothing that I as a Democrat or even collectively with all my fellow Democrats uh, can push through the Georgia legislature, just given our numbers. And I think I'm someone uh, who is pragmatic and willing to work across the aisle and well-positioned to do that, uh, to take and get the wins that we can get now. Right. And um, I think it'd be valuable. Let's let's talk about some of the big ideas. So, you know, let's take let's take our pragmatist hats off for a second sure. and, and then like say like, what, what should we be doing? You know, Absolutely. you can pick whatever issue you want, you know, yeah. but just like, what's a big place where Georgia has a clear answer of like what we should be doing, but we're not doing it. Yeah. Well, look, I, I'm not someone who believes in silver bullets um, because I think complex problems uh, require complicated solutions over the long term. Uh, but education is, is an area where, you know, since 2003, we've underinvested or cut out $9 billion in federal funding. Studies are have overwhelmingly demonstrated that dollar for dollar, um, the most return you can get is in uh, early childhood education and also uh, technical colleges and training. And so not only do we need to restore our funding for our K through 12 system, uh, but what we also need to do is make pre-K universal. And, you know, if I'm taking my progressive hat off, what we need to do next is is make um, 
preschool available for three-year-olds across the state yeah. uh, for every single uh, child because the reality is, you know, kids who go to uh, good preschools in, for three-year-old and pre-K and then they get to kindergarten are way ahead of their peers uh, that don't have those learning environments. Uh, and those uh, disadvantages can persist from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. You know, obviously, we've also cut dramatically our funding of public colleges and universities. That's something we have to get back to because the people that are hurt the most by that um, and the increasing tuition that goes along with that are the folks that can least afford to go to college. And those are the folks who we most need to get advanced degrees. And it doesn't have to be college, but also technical training and skills training. Uh, those are things we have to invest in. Yeah, and that's something that scared me personally because throughout my college career, I'm, you know, I'm a first-generation college student, first-generation law student. So throughout like when I started to when I graduated from undergrad, I saw the amount of state funding decrease significantly. And so you know, to the point where had I – my grades been a little bit different or my life situation been a little bit different, I would not have been able to afford college in the way that I did. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a very real thing. And I've seen, you know, some of my friends get in that situation where they basically just weren't able to afford it or had to take a bunch of private loans out that had insane interest rates to finish their education. So yeah, and, it's and, a real problem. And the reason I refer to these as, as making investments is because these are mm -hmm. dollars the state can spend that create great returns for the state, right? Taking a kid who is capable of going to college and finishing college and providing them the means to do that and then allowing them to be a skilled worker or, or a college-educated worker provides tremendous benefits to the state. I mean, you can just look at increased tax revenue over the life of their earnings, but also, you know, all kinds of additional benefits for communities. And and by not doing that, when we're denying someone who's capable of graduating from college, who wants to graduate from college, and we're denying them the ability to do that, we are essentially saying to them, uh, you cannot be as productive a citizen as you could be, and we're not going to let you give you the tools to do that. And I think that's a real shame. Yeah. So let's let's put our pragmatist hats back on. <laughs> what, what, what's what's something that you think you could get done? You know, in your first couple of sessions as as a new representative for your your district, and issue that you think Republicans could hear you out on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have I've uh, been encouraged to see the increased preference for public transportation yeah. on the other side of the aisle, right? And I actually think being in the running for the Amazon headquarters. Uh, really helps us on something like that because, mm -hmm. you know, I think the two big knocks on, on Georgia and trying to attract big business and specifically in Amazon's RFP would be where's our public transportation, right? And we all know it's not where it needs to be and it needs to be expanded. And I'm glad to see folks on the other side of the aisle uh, recognizing that as well. You know, I think we need to do that not only to attract businesses, but also, you know, public transportation is an economic pathway for people. When my parents first settled in Metro Atlanta, they didn't have a car. They relied on MARTA to get to, you know, my mom had a job at DeKalb Farmer's Market. My dad used MARTA to find his job and then get there. And so, you know, we may come at it for different reasons. And I, and I think economic development and business growth is, is a goal that we should pursue. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also moved by the fact that people need to be able to get to jobs uh, easily and efficiently. Um, and we need to do it for our environment. Uh, as well. So I think public transportation is an area. Another area where, where I can foresee building some coalitions with uh, business-minded Republicans uh, is on civil rights. Um, you know, I suspect that 
religious freedom legislation became a lot less attractive to Republican leaders now that we're competing for such a large economic development project like Amazon. Right. Um, you know, we know what happened to North Carolina um, when they passed the bathroom bill. And I suspect, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is is going to be pretty strongly pushing against any of that type of litigation. And I suspect there'll be less oxygen in the legislature uh, for that type of, of legislation than we had before. And so I think it's good to continue to, to fight that back. But I'd also like to go on the offensive and pass a uh, comprehensive civil rights bill here in Georgia. Um, you know, Georgia has some of the worst civil rights protections at the state level of well, any state. Well, we don't state. have any. <laughs> like, their yeah. age, right? Like, isn't that the only that's one right. we have? So, uh, Which, yeah. I mean, that's important. But, it like, is. you know, it's like, that's really important because, you know, I'm sure my dad has been discriminated due to his age, you know, if we really looked into it. And, and, and so, so that's just like, I, you know, it's just like, it's just ridiculous that we haven't handled that yet. Yeah. And and so protecting against age discrimination is important, but so is protecting against race discrimination, gender discrimination, and um, sexual orientation discrimination. Um, so we need a comprehensive civil rights bill. And so that's actually something that I think, you know, some, some business-minded folks on the other side of the aisle can see the value in as well, because we do want to project to the rest of the country and to businesses uh, thinking about where they want to relocate uh, that we are uh, open to everyone and that we are going to protect everyone's rights. And so, you know, I think that's probably a little longer term than the transportation piece, but yeah. that's something that I think we can uh, continue to work on and continue to build support for. Yeah, I, I think I think those are really good places to attack because I think on both of those issues, that's where the couple sessions that I've watched, I've actually seen like the heart's soften yeah. on, on both those issues because i can remember you know the first session i really started paying attention to was like in 2012 and you know like since then yeah. they've like radically changed on transportation and then yeah. on the civil rights front they've started to listen a bit, <laughs> a bit more and i think they've just sort of had a better you know uh instances of what can go wrong if you yes. pursue policies for political reasons because most of them you know i i've you know told people story before but like the the angriest i've ever seen the house republicans was the day that they had to vote on rifra because everyone's face was just mad because they didn't seem like they wanted to do it and they yeah. thought politically they had to but that's that's my own conjecture i'm not saying sure you know, yeah but sure. um uh, so one of the things we like to do when we wrap up these conversations is I call it flipping the table and that I make you ask me a question. <laughs> so now now you get to be the interviewer and ask me something. Sure. So look, I um, you know, Georgia's not where I want it to be. I'm optimistic about Georgia's future and our ability um, to make this a much greater state with a lot of work. Um, but, you know, you're president of the Young Democrats of Georgia. Mm -hmm. I wonder what what your outlook is uh, for Georgia and for progressive policies. I I would say I agree with you that I think a lot of Georgia is ready for change, but they don't know what it is. And that's sort of why I, I kept hitting on the, like, let's talk about our bigger goals. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people just, like, literally don't know what they are. Because, you know, like, my parents are from South Georgia, originally from West Virginia. So, like, their conception of what a Democrat is is, like, Nancy Pelosi yeah. and Harry Reid. Like, that is, like, what's in their mind. It's, like, there's a broad spectrum of what Democrats stand for and what they don't. And I think in a lot of ways, like I was mentioning earlier, everything getting DCified really yeah. did not help. And, it, you know, it's just sort of contextually some of the policy problems are so big in D.C. that, like, the smaller things that are critical to the state that really will change its future, 
don't become as clear. And yeah. so things that are critical that we've talked about, like funding education fully and getting it to a place where everyone can afford pre-K and transportation. So I could, if we're getting a train over here, and, yeah. you know, come see you rather than having to drive. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing I'm very passionate about is like green energy because yep. not only is it good for the environment, which I think is very important, but it's like economically it makes so much more sense. Like it's so much cheaper for everybody, you know, to invest in solar and to invest in, uh, wind energy because you know georgia's a windy ish place but it's definitely very <laughs> sunny like it's way way sunny and so it's just like you know the amount of power we could produce quite easily there i think is just like an un you know tapped potential and the thing is georgians i mean everyone in the country is frustrated but i think in georgia there's a lot of solutions that aren't that hard to get to because it's like we're not like california that has like severe drought problems like that's like gonna take you know a countrywide effort to solve that at a certain point like our problems are problems of lack of investment and you know lack of imagination really that's what the state is capable of yeah and i think if we can start uh dreaming a little bit bigger i think georgia could get to a place where people talk about georgia in the same way they talk about california and new york you know and that's that's kind of where i'd like to see us get yeah, and if I can um, make a comment on oh, that, yeah. you know, look, <laughs> I, I think Georgia has the potential to be one of, if not the best state in this country, right? Mm-hmm. But we have to dream bigger and have that vision. Um, you know, Georgia right now is the eighth most populous state in the country. We'll pass Ohio soon. Uh, by 2040, we'll be the fifth most populous state in the country with the busiest airport in the world, with one of the busiest deep harbor ports in the country, uh, with an enormous... Uh, population of educated individuals with resources like the University of Georgia. Best college football team. That's right. And and Georgia Tech. Um, And so we really... And Spaceport. That's right. That's right. my own Camden County. Um, So we really are, you know, I think the only thing holding us back is is ourselves and that lack Mm -hmm. of imagination and making the investments that we need to make. Uh, And on the green energy piece, you know, I agree, you know, not only... Uh, do we need to be taking much bigger advantage of it? Uh, but it also creates jobs by, you know, producing solar in lots of areas and decentralizing our energy production and our energy grid. I mean, that's a lot of of well-paying jobs for the installation. You know, I've been uh, fortunate to serve on the board of Green Law for the last several years, and representing the Sierra Club in Georgia really pushed Georgia Power uh, in its latest uh, four-year plan to increase the amount of solar that it was going to rely on dramatically. Uh, is it where we need to be? No, but it's much better than what they had proposed, and we'll continue to work on that um, because we really do have tremendous potential for solar energy here in Georgia. Well, thank you, Sachin, for uh, coming on to uh, Peach Pog. I had a really uh, good conversation, and I uh, wish you best in your race. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.